Today's reading comes from Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 18. And he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the Israel elders, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, and they beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has, dis- whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. He may be seated. Well, good morning. Has anyone ever received an invitation to a dinner or some kind of a party and you weren't really sure what it was you were going to get yourself into? Right? Perhaps it was a foreign friend inviting you to some celebration of a holiday that is not Western. Perhaps it was a first date. Perhaps it was a first major holiday meal with a fiancé or a significant other. I had one of these experiences about a year and a half ago when my great uncle, Steve, uh, sent me an email. I was, I just got home from China at this point, inviting me to a dinner party, just the two of us, uh, to his home. Now, this is a man that I had known my entire life, you know, or known of, and he'd been around at different, you know, family gatherings and things like that. He was definitely somebody that I didn't know well. He's a big man, imposing, gruff, very opinionated. Uh, He smokes pipes. He drinks a fair amount um, of water and stronger things. (laughs) (laughs) He was a sailor in the Navy. He's a retired uh, gourmet chef. So the man's lived a lot of life, and he has a lot of character, which is a little intimidating, uh, you know, to have to go into his house and, and join him for that. Well, we're in Exodus 24 today, which 
we can be looked at as a story about going to a dinner party that you weren't quite sure what was going to happen. You may notice that we're a bit out of sequence with our passages. Last week, Pastor Clayton preached from Exodus chapter 32 and the tragedy of the golden calf, a heart-wrenching but all-too-familiar portrait of human rebellion. And the episode of the golden calf really was a replay of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in the garden, and there's very many parallels with that. Exodus 24, however, is a replay of the very first two chapters of the Bible and a preview of the last. It's a story about commitment, devotion, and union. It's a story about sinners being at ease in the dangerous, welcoming presence of God. These elders of Israel are called up the mountain, right? That's how the chapter opens. Moses and the rest of them are invited up. We know how the story ends, so we assume that would have been a positive experience, but they don't know how the story ends when they're invited up the mountain. It's clouds and great darkness and thunderstorms, and earlier in chapter 19, Yahweh tells Moses to keep everybody back, lest the holiness of the Lord break out and kill them. <laughs> and now he's saying, come on up here. I think it maybe felt like being called to the principal's office or, you know, I don't know, some other thing like that, some kind of a sit-down. But what they find there in the presence of God is welcome and hospitality. Similarly, and to how I found uh, welcome and hospitality with my great-uncle Steve and myself and Caleb and Melody, who looks like actually did not make it to church this morning. That's too bad. But uh, they... <laughs> I'm supposed to point at them. But anyway, um, we've, we've gone to his house every month for the last year and a half um, and have formed a really wonderful and, and great friendship and relationship with him. So not really a story there. I just wanted to close the loop in case you were wondering what happened next. <laughs> our single sentence sermon summary this morning for our note takers is this. The Lord is throwing a party and we're all invited the Lord is throwing a party, and we're all invited. What I want to do this morning is I want to take a few moments to dwell on this passage in Exodus 24, and there's a lot here, and we can't talk about all of it, so forgive me. I want to show how this story can actually give us a way to read and understand the Old Testament law so we can be formed as good party guests. And I want to look at the ministry of Jesus and see how he replayed this story with his friends and his disciples. And finally, I want to put before you one way that we can live out this story this next week as we enjoy and perhaps confront the Thanksgiving holiday. But let's back up and remind ourselves of where we've been. So if you go back to Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites have made it through their various harrowing adventures with the plagues and the seas and these different things, and they sing a song. And then they come and they arrive at Mount Sinai, and Yahweh comes down on Mount Sinai. And it's this big scene of thunder and lightning and all these different things. It's too bad the book of Exodus doesn't come equipped with surround sound, because I imagine that it was quite the experience. In chapter 20, the Lord speaks the Ten Commandments to the people of God. He says them out loud to the entire congregation. This is terrifying uh, for them. And so they ask at the end of chapter 20 that from now on, Yahweh, could you please tell Moses the things, and then Moses could tell us. And Yahweh actually agrees with their request, which is an important note that we'll return to later. And so chapter 20 ends with Moses alone hiking up towards, as the Bible puts it, the thick darkness where God was. Then in chapters 21 through 23 of Exodus, 
Moses is given basically a, a new set of commandments that expand the Big Ten that he just received. So that's what Moses has been up there doing as he's been receiving this expanded set of commandments. What happens in Exodus 24 then is that Moses comes back down the mountain and the people accept the terms of this covenant and they confirm their agreement or their obedience to it. Verse 3 says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. Most of us, or at least many of us, are probably familiar with the iTunes pop-up window of terms and conditions. If not that, then if you've ever installed software on a computer or an update on a phone, at some point in this laborious process, a little thing pops up and it says, please read the terms and conditions. And there's this long list of legal babble. And then at the bottom, there's a little box that says agree. And you have to click the box that says agree, but the company doesn't actually know whether you read the terms and conditions and how many of us would confess that we have clicked that little agree box without reading a single word of the terms and conditions. That's a small testament to human rebellion and sinfulness all on its own. (laughs) Something similar is happening in Exodus 24, right? The pop-up window has appeared. Before you install the covenant, please agree to these terms and conditions. Except that Moses really has read all the terms and conditions to the Israelites, and they are actually ready to check the agree box. And so they do. They offer sacrifices at the foot of the mountain. They gather the blood. Moses tosses half of it on the altar, and then he throws the rest of it on the people. Both the altar and the people are marked with this blood of the covenant. They're connected. Their relationship has begun. They have entered into this agreement with God. And once the covenant has been confirmed, then Moses, these elders, ascend, maybe not all the way up the mountain, but some distance up Mount Sinai. And here's where things get really interesting and where I want to buckle down on our passage Verse 9, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. They beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. Think of what we know of the story so far and all the things that have happened. We would kind of expect that sentence to end a different way. There's a certain script that runs through our heads. They beheld the God of Israel and got their faces melted off. They beheld the God of Israel and fell to the ground. They beheld the God of Israel and went screaming down the mountainside. That's not what happens. They beheld the God of Israel. They ate and drank. Yahweh was throwing a party, and the elders of Israel were his special guests. And this meal, chapter 24, comes right before. If you look ahead in your Bibles, you'll see chapter 25, and there's probably a little heading there that says the tabernacle. So this meal precedes the laws and the designs given for the tabernacle. It's as if God is saying, I know that this meal is special, this little picnic on the mountainside, but I want to make it normal, right? We're sort of up here in the executive lounge, but I want to keep the party going down right in the middle of the people. So Yahweh invites Moses further up, and Moses goes. 
And don't miss this detail. I'd never noticed this before until I was, I was preparing for this morning. In uh, verse 17, the appearance of God's glory on Sinai changes, right? From the point in 19 where he descends, it's darkness. It's thick darkness, thunderclouds, smoke, things like that. After this covenant party, it ignites into this devouring fire. What was hidden is now being revealed, right? The relationship has been entered into. Yahweh was serious about showing himself to his people. And Exodus is a story about God making himself known to a people and then forming that people to make him known to all the other people. That's, that's what the, the whole book of Exodus is about. And that's what we've seen for the last 11 Sundays. If you've been here uh, for this fall as we preach through the book of Exodus, that's what we've, we've done every single week as we've looked at, not everything, because, you know, that would be many, many sermons, but we've looked at a lot of the things that happen in Exodus and seen how everything that happens reveals some aspect of God's nature, character, or intent. And here in Exodus 24, we actually get all three. God's nature is revealed to be one of glory and power. And obviously the, the devouring fire on the top of this mountain is a is testament to immense power. The detail in verse 10 about God standing on a sapphire pavement, some kind of a blue jewel, is meant to display his wealth and his authority. No human king, including Pharaoh, could afford an entire floor made of sapphires. But Yahweh brings it along to a mountainside picnic as if it's nothing. Oh yes, did you notice my sapphire floor? <laughs> Later on in scripture, the prophets have these incredible visions of God's glory. They have to stretch human language to try and grasp a hint of the tremendous beauty and majesty of the creator. Crystals and rainbows, emeralds, molten iron, fantastical angels, all these crazy things. Exodus 24 is the first hint of that, like the first glimmer of the sunrise. God's character is revealed as being one of hospitality and invitation. Not only does he invite Moses and the elders up, but the entire nation is invited to take part in the feast. In verse 5, it says that they offered peace or fellowship offerings to Yahweh. And the peace offering was a special sacrifice for several reasons. The first, it was that it was never compelled by the law. It wasn't a reaction to sin. You didn't have to do it. It was left to the free will of the worshiper. The second reason it was special is that it signified the covenant faithfulness, the partnership between Yahweh and his people, rather than some aspect of their sin or rebellion. And thirdly, the peace offering was special because it was the only sacrifice in which everyone involved... Uh, partook of the meal. Most sacrifices, the priests just ate themselves. The people didn't, get, didn't touch any of it. But for the peace offering, Yahweh, the priests, the folks offering it, all at the table together. The meal that the elders are eating with God, that the whole people are eating while they're up there, is a peace offering meal. And God's intention or plans are revealed in the lengths he goes to, not just to reveal himself to the Israelites, which he could have done very quickly, and then there wouldn't have been any more Israelites, but he reveals himself in such a way that they can bear it. Back in chapter 19, the people ask that God not speak directly to them because it's just too much, but to Moses. And the Lord agrees with that. Why? Because he's willing to meet them where they are. He's willing to acquiesce to their request 
because his relationship with them is one of his top priorities. Many times in scripture, we're told that no one can see the creator and live, and yet these elders feast in his presence. How? Well, partly, and this is clear in the Hebrew, they didn't lift their eyes any higher than his feet. So they saw the floor, they saw his feet, and they stopped. Probably wise. But also because Yahweh decided not to lift his hand against them, as the text says. He wanted them to be there. And later on, we'll see next week, the tabernacle and the system of sacrifices and laws, those aren't there for God's sake. He doesn't need a tent to stay holy. All of that is there for the people. He wants to make his holiness safe while the Israelites are still being transformed so that they can bear it. And in all this, God's intentions are made very clear. He desires to dwell with his people, and he will go to great lengths to do so. And we see throughout the Bible, the good news summed up by the Lord when he promises, I will be their God, and they will be my people. From Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that, the fulfillment of that promise. He is God and man brought together in perfect unity. He is the bridge, the open door, the host of God's great dinner party. We see echoes of Exodus 24 throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus spent a ton of time eating with people. Like when you stop and notice how often he's eating. You know, the Pharisees, one of the, the slanders that they brought against him is that he was a drunkard and a glutton. We could be confident that Jesus was neither, but I think that insult holds a granule of truth that the man liked to eat. Sounds weird to say the man liked to drink, but, you know, he did create wine at the wedding. We'll t- we could talk about that later. The man liked dinners. The man liked parties. Jesus eats constantly in the gospel stories. He eats with Pharisees. He goes to parties thrown by tax collectors. He twice takes the Galilean equivalent of a happy meal and multiplies it into feasts that feed 9,000 people. He provides wine for a wedding feast. He makes the disciples breakfast. He weaves stories about feasts, parties, yeast, bread, wheat, wineskins, weddings, family reunions into our understanding of what the kingdom of God is like. When Jesus chose an act by which his people could remember his sacrifice and anticipate his coming, what did he choose? Yeah, a meal. He chose a meal. When Jesus talks about the coming of the kingdom of God and the end of the world, how does he imagine it? As a wedding feast. So we bring this back to the law. Exodus 24 tells us, and it's not the only passage that tells us, but it's the one I happen to be preaching on. Exodus 24 tells us that the purpose of the law is for life. The flourishing, the cultivation of Israel's life with God. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament by the traditional count. Some of them make a fair amount of sense, you know, don't steal. Okay, you know, I can do that. Many of them don't. It's hard to know how to, what we're supposed to do with some of these laws. Some of the laws are deeply disturbing, and we hardly ever hear those preached on because of how disturbing and complicated it is. And the law as a whole can be very confusing, can be very boring, it can just be very weird. What are we, why is this here? What are we supposed to do with it? And I think that we can get sidetracked by that, by kind of the tangled jungle that the law is. 
But we need to see that in the middle of that tangled jungle, there's this garden where God wants to eat with his people. The next time that you're possessed to either read or browse the books of the law, you know, as one does, I want you to pay attention to how often the laws are about feasts, festivals, celebrations, peace offerings, and thanksgiving. They're everywhere. Exodus 24 is preceded by laws for festivals in Exodus chapter 23. In chapter 23, verses 20 through 33, God promises to drive the Canaanites out of the promised land, and he instructs the people to obey his law so that, as he promises in verse 25, I will bless your food and your drink. There will be plenty. You won't run out, and there will be a party in the promised land. Now we know, right, and we saw this even when Moses comes and the terms and conditions and all that, and everybody goes, yes, agree, click. We know that they can't obey. We know that we cannot obey. We know that the rebellion of the golden calf is coming when the people throw a party but don't invite the Lord. And we also know that the law cannot actually deliver the life it promises to. Paul wrestles with this, other apostles do too, but Paul wrestles with this in Romans chapter 7. It can't actually do, it can't actually get us to these things. So what is it for? Well, there are many answers to that. I think on one level we see that the laws are given as a response to the Israelites' disobedience. If you were, God bless you, to continue reading into Leviticus and Numbers, you'll see the pattern. The people rebel, and then there's more laws. The people rebel, and then there's more laws. It's this terrible cycle. But it is also testament to how much Yahweh is willing to do to be with them. He keeps meeting them where they are in the depth of their sin and making it safe for him to do so. As Paul teaches in Romans 7, the law is a teacher showing us how sinful we really are. But Jesus obeyed and fulfilled the law. And his obedience is something that we all, as Christians, aspire to imitate. I find it helpful, if you think about the law and the gospel, it's helpful to think about it in terms of a wedding. The law is sort of like the save the date, and the gospel is like the wedding invitation. The law tells us where we need to go, what we need to wear, in effect, kind of who we need to be, but the law can't get you into the party. The invitation is implied by the law in the same way that you can never get a, or you usually don't receive a save the date without then receiving an official wedding invitation. But the law doesn't get you in. The Father's invitation in Jesus delivered by the Spirit is what gets you in. Our faith is not about following the right rules that we earn our way to the party. That's like trying to RSVP without an invitation. You have no basis. That would be like on Thursday if I showed up to some random family's house, knocked on the door, and tried to convince them to let me come in because I'd bake this really excellent pie. No, 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 I know you don't know me. I know I sound like a crazy person, but guys, this pie is awesome. You know me, and you probably wouldn't let me in. It doesn't matter how good the pie is. That's not how that works. You have to be invited. You have to belong to the household that you're entering into. 
They'll let you in whether your pie is terrible or whether it's good. Hopefully they won't tell you it's terrible, but that's where the metaphor breaks down. The good news is that because of Jesus' death and rising again, we're all invited to Yahweh's party. It doesn't matter what kind of pie you bring. A meal is at the same time one of the most normal and mundane things about human life. You have to do it or you die, right? But it's also the primary way that we celebrate and we mark special time and we, we celebrate what God has done. Jesus was born, we get together and we eat. It's a Tuesday afternoon, we eat. Somebody that we know happened to be born today, we eat. America was invented, we eat and we blow things up. <laughs> the pilgrims didn't all die from starvation, we eat. <laughs> the meal is normal and special. Very human and, if the food and company are good, very divine. Much like Jesus, who, after all, called himself the bread of life. Jesus said that he came that we may have life to the full, and there are few better pictures of life to the full than a great party. Good food, good music, good people, maybe a few other good things. I want you to take a moment and call to mind a really great party, holiday meal, cookout, game day gathering, whatever it is, some time where you gathered together with people you loved and you all enjoyed yourselves. Think about what that feels like. Did you know that that could be a holy thing? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the ways that parties go bad and substance abuse and indulgence and selfishness. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about parties, gatherings, where everybody's safe, everybody's having a good time, everybody's loved. Togetherness and belonging, good times, the warm glow as the turkey carcass sits there destroyed. <clears throat> that is really what the fullness of God's life is like. That really is what it's like. That he's inviting us into now and in the world to come. And Jesus, following in his father's footsteps, took the meal and placed it in the center of our life of faith. Take and eat. Take and drink. Do this not only to remember, but to anticipate what is coming. One way that we can respond to God's party invitation this week is with gratitude. Gratitude, thanksgiving, it may seem like a small thing, but I think that it's really the front door to much of what God promises us in Jesus. It's hard to find joy if you're not thankful. It's hard to find peace if you're not thankful. And the list could go on. It's fitting that during this week of Thanksgiving, we actually take some time to give some thanks. There are ways in which Thanksgiving can be one of the worst days of the year. There may be, there will be, empty chairs that used to be filled. There may be a person or two there that you really wish were not. Or perhaps you'll be alone and really wishing there was some place for you to be. Conflicts and wounds may be simmering there 
underneath the surface the entire time and everyone is a little bit tense because you don't quite know what's going to set it off. When, if, probably, when you're hit with any of that this week, I encourage you to take a deep breath. Imagine Jesus sitting at the head of your table and thank him for all that he's done for you, for these loved ones that he's gathered, and all that he's brought you through. Jesus gave us a meal to remember his sacrifice, to bind ourselves to one another, and to look forward to what was to come, the fulfillment of that party on the mountainside that Yahweh threw for the elders of Israel. Every meal can be sacred. Every meal can be holy. These gatherings of food and love can be open windows, allowing us to look ahead to the great day when all God's promises are entirely fulfilled, when the kingdom comes at last. And I hope that Thanksgiving dinner can be that way for you, if maybe only for a few moments. May you look around the table and know that the empty chairs will one day be filled again with the people who left them behind. That one day the conflicts will be laid to rest. May you see that the feast you prepare or enjoy is really just an appetizer. It's a foretaste to the banquet that the Lord is preparing for his people. The day is coming when we will answer the king's invitation, when the prodigal and the elder brother will be reunited at the father's feast, when our master returns, brushes each of us off, and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. And with how much Jesus loved to eat and drink, we can be confident in what his joy will be like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this good day. And I pray, Lord, that in each one of our hearts, you would do a work of gratitude. Father, some of us may be facing this week with anticipation, with excitement. Some of us with fear, stress, probably a mixture of the two. Lord, I pray that not just this week, but every week going forward from now, you would form us to be people of gratitude we would be thankful for your laws. Lord, they protect us. They point us to the way of true life. That we would be thankful for what Jesus has done in his death and his rising again. None of us have to bear the burden of our lives. In his name we pray. Amen.